0: Sports, true Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. So much to get into tonight. NFL season seems to be winding down. Ira, you took in a game uh, last night. You're in studio with
1: us. We're live. This is great. What'd you do uh, this week? Just Dolphins, uh, Packers yesterday at uh, Frigid. Can you imagine? It's freezing out. No, but how about this? That They showed a picture of Lambeau Field. It was 47, and at the Hard Rock Stadium it was also 47 degrees at the exact same time. Crazy. I mean, <laughs> this is... You had
0: said, and, you know, I'll talk more about the game, but there was more Packers fans and Dolphins fans because the Dolphins fans are too cold for this. Ira, I wouldn't have been outside. Sixty-seven
1: was too cold. This was forty-seven. <laughs> so, but the Packer fans came out in force, and you got to love the Packer fans with the cheese heads on and the enthusiasm, and they're wearing shorts and T-shirts, so I think it's great.
0: Uh, I'm sure you had a great time, got great pictures as well. You can follow along with Ira anywhere uh, online at Ira on Sports. Packed show tonight, Ira, and we've done this the last couple of years as we get down to the um, college football playoff bring in someone from each school and talk about what it's going to take for their team to win. First up is going to be Drew Davidson.
1: Drew Davidson from TCU is a longtime writer for the Dallas Fort Worth Star, Telegram, and writes for Frogs today. So he's the foremost expert on TCU football. So we're going to find out about TCU, Max Dugan, everything with them.
0: Yeah, and TCU is probably a school that most people don't know all that much <laughs> yeah. about. So this should be really good. Bill Rabinowitz is going to join us after that.
1: Yeah, he was uh, worked for the Columbus Dispatch, the top writer for Ohio State, Buckeye, football. So again, the other top expert from a school School.
0: And then uh, Patrick Garber will join us after him.
1: Garber is different. He hasn't worked for a newspaper, but he has like the, the his site and his, his Twitter account is the most followed Georgia. He's wrote, I think, nine books on Georgia football. Crazy. Yeah,
0: so. <laughs> you're, you're the authority once you've written three books on a program. I think nine uh, has it covered. Plenty to talk about tonight, so stick around here, Ira, on sports. You want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, to start this off, because the NBA— kind of had Christmas Day locked up for my entire life, and that's not going to be the case anymore.
1: No, I mean, the NFL, this was awesome in terms of having the three games, and I think that, again, we're going to can't wait to see these ratings, but it just shows that the NBA who puts on, you know, we can't wait to start talking about the NBA once football season's over. We'll start getting into that. But, uh, again, the NBA, we talked about this when this first was announced, when Christmas was, we we're like, I think, you know, the ratings are going to be like four or five times the football to the NBA ratings.
0: And I'm sure it's going to be once the numbers come out. Speaking of numbers, World Cup did as good as it ever has done here in America, saying a lot, considering a lot of the games were at weird times.
1: Right. 16 million people. Crazy. I mean, it was actually, you know, it, one of the highest numbers. It was almost like the NFL level. You wondered why you would think that they would try to capture and put some of the, the messy Mbappe, Paris Saint-Germain matches on. Because, it, again, that was a 16 million in a in a, in a Sunday, in an early Sunday morning match. is pretty amazing. Yes.
0: 7 a.m. for the West Coast, up oh, right. watching football. Um. You guys lost a great one uh, over the weekend, Ira. Uh, Franco Harris has passed away, Steelers legend, Hall
1: of Famer, and
0: uh, you've actually met with him before and, you know, you have a little bit of a rapport.
1: Well, I'm telling you what, it was it was really, they were going to make this whole presentation about the Immaculate Receptions, the 50th anniversary of, of the Immaculate Reception. Franco Harris was, not, was a legend in football. He is someone who, once he retired, was still active in the community, met with people, involved in businesses, so I, you just walk around, as I said, I met him at Penn State Football because he played at Penn State, was a star at Penn State with Lido Mitchell, but he would come to the games and he liked one of my friend's tailgates. We used to park in a RV right next to the stadium. He'd stop by three, four times, whatever, and just eat, talk, tell stories. I had pictures of him throwing around footballs with one of my friend's kids and everything. Like a great guy. You see him at the Steeler game, he would sit and toss stand and talk to people all the time. I went down to a luncheon he had in Boca for Penn State alumni. He It was like two hours. You talked about everything, talked about every play. Um, remember, he was a 12-season t- with the Steelers, one with Seattle. I was tortured when I saw him in a Seattle uniform. Like, they cannot, like, they, they have to remove all pictures of him ever winning a Seattle uniform. Four Super Bowl wins, Super Bowl Nine MVP, nine Pro Bowls, 12,000 rushing yards. He was third all time when he retired. And uh, he was the first African American MVP in the Super Bowl and also Italian American MVP in the Super Bowl. And his statues are everywhere. One in the History Museum, one when you go to the airport of Pittsburgh, it's the first one next to George Washington that you see. And there's one right out where the Immaculate Reception is outside in the parking lot where Old Three Rivers was. Um, but he was just, I you know, when I remember the one thing that he told about the macular reception when he said, when Patrick came to Paterno, the first practice, he was sort of like, the ball was on the ground and he didn't run for it. so that's whatever. And Paterno says, run to the ball, run to the ball, run to the ball. And he said, oh, for the first year he was there, screaming, run to the ball. So during the macular reception, when the ball was hit off Frenchie Fuqua and the ball was in the air, he just kept hearing Paterno say, run to the ball, run to the ball. And that's why he, he got the ball. And, uh, you know, that was the whole thing about the whole ceremony with the macular reception. The Steelers in '72 had lost for 50 years, never won a playoff game. They had drafted Franco, uh, and this was a rookie, and he turned every. And then they're playing the Raiders in the game. It looked like all was lost. Uh, but Fragile throws the ball fourth down. The ball's bounce, <laughs> bounces off Fuqua, and out of nowhere, Franco picks the ball in the middle of the air, runs it in to, for a touchdown. And you know, people call it like it was like. And that the thing, the ski, that the next week they lost to the Dolphins, the '72 Dolphins that we're honoring for being. A Defeated, they lost, but that's what set the Steeler dynasty in motion. Then they went four titles in six years, and that's why there's Steeler fans everywhere you go and all this other stuff. So, Franco, that catch, that play, that's why it was called the greatest play in the history of the NFL. Yeah, uh, Pittsburgh
0: sports have a lot of Monster personalities, a lot of legends, and Franco Harris is surely on the Mount Rushmore of those Pittsburgh athletes. Um, we do have Drew Davis on the line. If you'd like to hop to him, we'll go back to uh, N- uh, NFL uh, in just a minute. But Drew, thank you so much for joining us here on uh, Iron Sports.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Drew, uh, this is Ira. I really appreciate you coming on. You must be—I mean, it must be so pumped out in Fort Worth, you know, with TCU in the College Football Playoff. And uh, I know you just had an article out on your Twitter account about Max Dugan, the quarterback, and about the struggles, the heart's problems that he had to overcome to get to this moment.
2: Oh yeah, there's no question. Frog fever has taken over Fort Worth here, and people are fired up to see TCU make the playoffs for the first time. They're actually the first. Texas school in there, and, and Max Duggan's really kind of become the feel-good story in town, if you will. Uh, like you mentioned, he had a nine-hour surgery uh, two years ago, kind of during the COVID test. They found an a irregularity with his heart, so they had to. Uh, the procedure is usually one or two hours. This particular location, is, they took nine hours uh, to complete, but he bounced back from that. Uh, he has benched to start this season, as many know, uh, and now obviously the runner up in the Heisman Trophy and, and has the Horn Frogs in the playoffs. So certainly uh, TCU's the darling right now in DFW.
1: And your coach, Sonny Dykes, his first year, he came from SMU. And after all those years with Gary Patterson and you bring Sonny Dykes in, what, what, what has he done to this program in terms of being able to actually take a team to the coach of playoff in his first year?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, certainly a hat tip to Sonny Dykes and, and Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator. You know, Max Duggan, who we just talked about, has really taken uh, two, three, four steps forward, if you will, just in terms of the completion percentage, how the offense is run. Uh, the defense, of course, always had talent, always had speed under Gary Patterson, but going to a three-three-five under Joe Gillespie uh, has, has kind of brought them some new life. And, you know, obviously Gary Patterson's track record, speaks for itself. Hall of Fame coach, legendary coach has a statue outside the stadium. Uh, but at some point, you know, sometimes a change of voice is necessary, and Sonny Dykes has kind of just brought that, and he was, and as a credit to him, he was really able to keep a lot of the roster intact where you would think a lot of people may hit the transfer portal. Uh, and TCU did lose, you know, some high caliber players to the portal last offseason, but for the most part, they were able to keep a lot of the roster intact, and, and they have a lot of experience, a lot of veterans on this team.
1: Some teams get criticized because they play such close games. You are being celebrated. I have never seen a team that's been down by so many points on, like I guess four or five times this year. You thought that the season was over and you won on last plays. You, it's not just you won on last plays. You've been down two touchdowns in games and come back. What is this resiliency with the, the Horn Frogs?
2: Yeah, no, it, I mean it's really you know kind of a couple years ago this team was I want to say one in six, one in seven, and one score games. Uh, so they they were always competitive, even if their record uh, wasn't too pretty at the end of the year. And now they've just kind of found a way to win these games. And I think it goes back to that experience. A guy like Max Duggan being in his fourth season, he kind of knows how to get it done. Um, you know, on the defensive side, they've got you know. Freddie Tomlinson, for instance, who, who won the Thorpe Award at cornerback, LT's nephew, uh, kind of. So they they've got some good experience, and they kind of learned how to win, and and they've caught you know their fair share of breaks, just in terms of you know the the ball bouncing their way on on a turnover or whatnot. So um, so they they've certainly had a magical kind of ride. Uh, and they hope to keep it going.
1: And you have a running back who had seven 100-yard games and a star-wide receiver. Talk a little about the other offensive weapons that TCU has.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, Kendra Miller, the running back, got over 1,300 yards. He's, you know, kind of their – I know in the segment before, talking about Franco Harris, but, you know, just another workhorse, kind of a throwback uh, running back, if you will, just a guy who can carry it 20, 25 times a game. And he's going to get positive yards and, and more times than not, and if not a, a pretty nice game, uh, you know, I think he's averaging over six, seven yards a carry. So uh, he, he's a versatile back. And Quentin Johnson, I don't, you know, he, he's right up there at the top of this wide receiver class. Uh, some people think he could be a top 10 pick, but, you know, he's a guy that Max Duggan can throw the ball up to, throw a jump ball. Uh, most people would say it's a 50-50 ball. TCU thinks uh, t- t- their advantage is even greater than that on some of those jump balls with a guy like Quentin Johnson. The other thing Quentin Johnson does is uh, yards after catch. I mean, this is a physical guy. Um, he's, he's not easy to bring down. He's kind of, you know, made his mark, you know, gaining that, those yards after contact.
1: So if TCU – if we wake up on uh, New Year's Day and TCU has beat Michigan, what would happen in the game? How do you see TCU pulling this big upset off uh, over, over Michigan?
2: Yeah, I, I I think two things. First, if it turns into a shootout, I think that plays into TCU's hand because that means they're having success on the offensive side of the ball and, and really able to score and the offensive click. You know, the, some of those cl- close one-score games that they've had to rally to win – They've gotten off to slow starts. So if the offense can kind of get going right out of the gates, um, I I think that bodes well for TCU. And the other thing, you know, if is going to win, I I think their team speed, their overall team speed, I don't know if Michigan has seen a team uh, with this many weapons, with this fast on both sides of the ball. Um, You know, I know Ohio State will, you know, line up four or five receivers. Um, you, You saw that a little bit with Purdue, but for the most part, TCU, you know, kind of brings a different kind of look in Michigan's scene. I think Michigan has the edge in the trenches, which is a good edge to have, but I think the overall speed uh, could be you know, kind of the, the key if is going to pull off an upset.
1: Drew, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. If people want to follow you and follow the Horned Frogs, what's the best way on your social media?
2: Yeah, uh, at Drew Davidson, no second D in Davidson. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not the heir to the motorcycle company uh, <laughs> at, at drew davison and uh I, my work right now is at frogstoday.com
1: thanks a lot drew for coming on really appreciate it
0: drew davison right. here on ira on sports as he said follow him on twitter at drew davison no second d in davison ira great stuff there Quentin Johnston gonna be a stud in the nfl can't wait to see what happens uh with him going forward but let's catch up with some of our other affiliates let's bring in uh, bill rabinowitz here on ira on sports
1: We're pleased to have Bill Rabinowitz of uh, the Columbus Dispatch, the expert on Ohio State Buckeyes football. Uh, Bill has been covering the Buckeyes since 2011, has wrote two books on it. Bill, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports and giving some college football playoff preview.
3: Happy to do it. How how are you, Ira?
1: I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. So this this year for Ohio State, uh, they start the year out 21-10 over Notre Dame. Next six games, won by 28 points, and then I was at that Penn State game where they finally got that. That, it was, a, that was a tough game for them.
3: Yeah, it, it's been such a routine season. Uh, yeah, Penn State, well, Notre Dame was a test, obviously. And then Penn State, they were actually, they trailed in the fourth quarter. Then they just went off. 28 points in about, it seemed like about five minutes. Uh, JT Two Moloau had a monster game. Uh, and, and Ohio State kind of, kind of proved their mettle in that game, and then they, they coasted again. Well, they, they struggled with Maryland, uh, and then obviously the disaster against Michigan.
1: I know. I mean, I was at that Michigan game also, and it seemed like that first drive, the first couple drives at the end of the first quarter, it should have been like twenty-one-three. Ohio State was dominating on the offensive and defensive lines. Michigan couldn't get anything done, and it just seemed like it was like it was inevitable that Ohio State was going to run away with this game.
3: It, it did feel that way. In fact, I do a DVR review, and as I was watching the replay, obviously I knew the result. I kept thinking, "Oh, Ohio State's going to win this game," because
1: they, <laughs> even when did, you knew I mean, the even controlled. when you knew the result, yeah, even when
3: I knew the outcome. <laughs> and there were two plays, two long touchdowns that kept Michigan in at, at halftime. They were, they were down three, and then Ohio State just kind of cracked in the second half, especially late. I mean, it was you know people forget people think it was 45-23. It was a blowout. It wasn't. It was an eight point game with about seven minutes to go. And then, then uh, Michigan scored two late touchdowns, two long touchdown runs, and it made the score a little misleading. But, you know, again, you know, those long plays count. You can't just say, well, five big plays, five big plays count.
1: Right. I mean, it was the 75-yard run, the eight run. I think that was what was shocking is that people were like, you know, especially after what happened last year, losing to Michigan, and then now it's again in Columbus, I think it, it, hurt, it hurt a lot more this, this year than last year.
3: No question. And I, and this is my theory is that I think maybe they, they cared about the game too much. They put too much on it because when it's, when it started to go South on them, they kind of panicked. I mean, not outwardly panicked, but I think in their minds, they are thinking, Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening again. I can't believe this is happening again. And it it just kind of overwhelmed them. And, you know, when you spend an entire year building up for one thing and it starts to go the other way against you, you know, it's an unsettling feeling. So, um, now, though, they have a chance for redemption. Uh, obviously, Georgia is a really good team, uh, but the idea of, of beating Georgia and then possibly playing Michigan boy, <laughs> they couldn't have a setup any better.
1: That's right. That's right. And the quarterback, CJ Stroud, I mean, he looked like before the Michigan game, cruising to the to the Heisman Trophy winner, to be a Heisman Trophy winner, and then struggled in that game. Talk a little about CJ and what he's done the last couple of years.
3: Yeah, he's just a, a just has a, a wonderful uh, arm. I mean, just he's just in the passing game. It's he can make it look so easy. they are throw I covered the NFL for 12 years, and he makes NFL throws. These sideline throws, you think, oh, I don't know about that, and he just puts it right on the money. And when he's in rhythm, and he has receivers like Marvin Harrison Jr. and Ameka Ibuka, it's they're pretty tough to stop. Uh, the question for him is going to be, you know, is he willing to use his legs at all? Now, nobody expects him to be Justin Fields or Braxton Miller, but there are times when he's very reluctant to scramble for a first down, let's say. And, and I think in a game against Georgia, that's going to be important. Is he willing to, you know, take a hit and and to make a play? And and I'm not questioning his toughness at all. He's, He's made a lot of tough throws under pressure and is willing to take the hit. But sometimes I think he would make a statement if you were like, try to plow somebody just once, <laughs> you know, just, just kind of say, I can do this. Um, but, you know, as a, as a quarterback, I mean, he, the, his teammates love him. He's a good leader. He, he throws a beautiful ball. Uh, there's so much to like about him, but he has a lot to prove. I mean, he, he didn't beat Michigan in two, two tries. And, and that's not all on him by any means. I mean, he, the reason they lost isn't because of CJ's trial, but that's kind of the measure that uh, the measuring stick that Ohio state quarterbacks have. Did you beat Michigan?
1: You talk about professional players. You covered the the NFL. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. is Marvin Harrison senior son, and uh, one of the top wide receivers in the country, if not the the top wide receiver. Talk about his impact on a game like this. And as much as we saw Georgia had to deal with um, uh, Wyatt from Tennessee and some other star wide receivers, I don't think they've ever dealt with anything like Marvin Harrison Jr.
3: Yeah, I was surprised he didn't win the, the Bolitnikoff. I mean, I, he's the best receiver I've seen at Ohio State, and, and they've had some great ones. I mean, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, I mean, these guys are up for Rookie of the Year in the NFL, and Marvin Harrison does things that just make you go, what? I mean, his, his the combination of his size and his speed and his quickness and his hands, he dropped the ball against Michigan. It was a, a fairly tough catch, but we were all like, oh, my God, Marvin Harrison dropped a pass. That's the first pass he dropped all year. And so, um, yeah, they're going to need a big game from him, but they're also going to need a big game from everybody. I mean, is really good. Their defense is exceptional. And so Ohio State's going to have to play at its best.
1: And the offensive line, led by Paris Johnson, who the Steelers, I'm a Steeler fan, is is someone who they think is going to draft yeah. in the first round. I mean, that could be, I mean, that's their offensive line is huge. I saw it at the Penn State game. I could not, it was the one of the largest offensive linemen I've ever seen going to Penn State games up, up close
3: yeah paris johnson a left tackle and and dewan jones at right time even he's even bigger he's like 6'8 360. uh he's a former basketball player he's huge but i think the game uh, maybe the biggest matchup in the game is going to be whether ohio state's, the interior of ohio state's line can hold up against jalen carter and that defensive line from georgia uh luke Whippler is a, a, a very good center uh donovan jackson's a first-year starter a five-star guy very good uh but they're never they haven't been challenged like they're going to be challenged against carter and then uh, the right guard is a bit of a question mark is Matt Jones the starters been hurt he was not one of the players who talked last week when Ohio State had kind of a a mini media day um so that would be interesting if they don't have a healthy Matt Jones
1: and then on defense, I mean, just the the idea of like we saw those big plays that Michigan had just to stop. I mean, Georgia's game isn't big plays. I mean, Georgia just wears you down ten yards at a time, scores, it takes a lot, you know, takes a lot of the time of possession. But just to be able not to give up those big plays and to stop the Georgia offense.
3: Yeah, Michigan wasn't supposed to have big play receivers either, <laughs> and they, you know they, they certainly were against Ohio State. So I think the biggest you know, if you just say okay, what's the number one priority for Ohio State's defense? It'd probably be stopping those tight ends. I mean, brock bowers especially it just, it's just a terrific player can do it all it'll put a lot of pressure on linebackers and safeties um but ohio state's defense has has played pretty well this year i mean the michigan game again with those big plays kind of skewed things but for the most part ohio state's defense played well against Michigan. play to play they played well michigan as you said did nothing in the first half on the ground and so you know it's this is a game about ohio state's toughness i mean physical physical and mental toughness can they match the physicality of Georgia. Because I think in terms of the skill position players, Ohio State probably has the advantage. But it's it's a matter of can they can they just, you know, kind of keep Alabama from grinding them.
1: Has there been any discussion about the crowd noise and the fact that you're playing down in Georgia uh, in a, a place? I was just at the SEC Championship game, so it's literally a home field advantage for the, the Bulldogs there.
3: Yeah, they know that. But you know what? It was it's obviously different players, but it was – eight years ago when Ohio State played Alabama at the Sugar Bowl. And that didn't seem to bother Ohio State at all. And, and I think there's something about this that might actually, in a way, play in Ohio State's hands because it's the underdog factor, the, 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 us against the world. Um, and there still will be a lot of Ohio State fans there. The, the Peach Bowl representative president thinks that it's gonna be like a 60-40 split, oh, which I, I think it's probably getting worse than that. But, you know, even if it's 70-30, that 30 can make a lot
1: of noise. You know, in a game like this, it's probably you know, like we go down to the uh, field goal at the end of the game, and Noah Ruggles has been a great kicker for the last two years for the Buckeyes.
3: Yeah, I mean, special teams have been very good for Ohio State this year. Um, you know, the one exception is they had a, they had a punt, uh, a fake punt called against Michigan, and they botched it. I, I think the the uh, snapper forgot. I don't know what happened. We haven't talked to him, but you know that that was botched. Um, but no, that the, the uh, Noah Ruggles has been a very reliable place kicker. And uh, Jesse Mirko has been a very good punter. Uh, they haven't done a whole lot in, in the punt return game, which is a little surprising. Um, but, yeah, that's that's been a pretty much a strength for Ohio State this year.
1: And so what's your overall prediction? How do you feel? What's your feel coming to this game in a few days away?
3: Well, look, I think that you have to pick Georgia. If you have to pick a winner – you, know, logically, you, you have to make sure they're the defending national champions. They're undefeated. They've, they've really not been challenged too much this year. I mean, they've, you know, there've been a few games where, I mean, Kentucky 16-6, I mean, you know, it's not like they've just blown everybody out. And I kind of think like two years ago, Ohio State played Alabama in the championship game. And first of all, Ohio State was decimated by injuries and COVID. But I don't know that Ohio State at full strength could have beaten that Alabama right. team. That was a, just a, an amazing Alabama team. This Georgia team, especially on offense is nothing like that Alabama team. Now, defensively, they're they're exceptional, but I don't think they're quite as good as they were defensively last year because they lost all those guys. So, yeah, I mean, I think you have to, you know, if you're looking at it objectively, think that Georgia's legitimately the favored favorite team. But, you know, I don't think that Georgia, if you were to give them truth serum, would have said, yes, give me Ohio State in the semifinal <laughs> as opposed to Michigan or TCU. Um, Ohio State certainly has the offensive ability, and and honestly, on defense too. That when they play their best, I mean, I think Ohio State is the only team in the country, other than Alabama, that can match up with with Georgia toe to toe, and and give them a game. Now, is that going to be enough? We'll find out. But I do think that Ohio State has plenty of motivation. The the thirst for redemption (laughs) is quite strong. It's been kind of a rough, rough month for Ohio State. You know, the, the signing day didn't go quite as well as they wanted, and so there's a chip on their shoulder. And, and we'll see. I think it's a fascinating matchup.
1: So, Bill, thanks a lot for coming on uh, Iron Sports and talking about the game. Uh, what's the best way to follow you on your social media?
3: Yeah, my Twitter handle is brdispatch. It's my initials, brdispatch. Um, that's really about it. I'm not really. I'm on Instagram, but not really. So, yeah, the Twitter is the best way.
1: Great. Well, and, thank- our, and
3: our website is dispatch.com.
1: Great. So anything follow, Bill, for anything about the Ohio State Buckeyes. So thanks a lot for coming on and talking about the game. I'm excited this weekend. It's going to be great for the both, both playoff games.
3: Well, thanks for having me on, Ira.
0: Great stuff there from Bill Rabinowitz. And I agree with Bill in, in his saying that, I don't think Georgia wanted to draw Ohio State here. I think even with Michigan beating Ohio State at the end of the season, I still think they would rather have seen Michigan or TCU here.
1: I think this game's going to be awesome. I yeah. really do. I think Georgia, in the end, wins out. I mean, I've seen both teams play live, and uh, I think it's going to be a very – but I, I would take Ohio State plus the whatever points you can get, six and a half or seven. I think this is a one-score game coming down at the end of the game. Georgia might – is just barely going to win this game. But uh, um, I, I really think Ohio State has a lot of motivation. I think CJ Stroud is going to try to. Sh- this is his statement game to say, I'm the number one quarterback. Yeah. I should be number one in the draft. I am going to be the franchise quarterback. And I think that statement is going to be made Friday night.
0: This could be the difference between top pick, top 10 pick, first round pick, or second round right. pick, which I doubt it goes that far, but never know in this situation. Well, let's hear the other side of the corn, uh, coin. Let's bring in Patrick Garber here on Iron Sports.
1: We're pleased to talk to Patrick Garbin. He is an expert on Georgia football, wrote nine books on Georgia football. He's the primary research writer uh, and recruiting writer for UGA Sports.com and Rivals Network on Yahoo Sports. Patrick, thanks a lot for coming on Ira on Sports.
4: Yes, sir. Appreciate you having me, Ira.
1: So, Patrick, you're getting real excited. At the end of this week, we have the Georgia-Ohio State, the play, college Bowl playoff. What In terms of what has Kirby Smart, the coach of Georgia, how has he taken Georgia from the level of like a really good team every year to now this elite every year they're competing for a national championship?
4: I, I, I go back to it It may have been his first press conference in 2016. <laughs> it, was one, it was one of the first when he said, quote, there will be no comfortable. And all of a sudden uh, – I saw a program just having you know being on the beat that that in all honesty, may have become a little complacent they in the latter part of the previous coaching regime. suddenly, everything changed I mean, you could tell over the over the butts mayor building where the, the athletic facility it was a it was just a different environment, and he's got a group that is never complacent they they work hard they and they show up for big-time games. And I, I think that's, that's what certainly has been evident this year.
1: Well, one of those games was on November 5th, uh, the twenty seven thirteen, 13 victory over Tennessee. I was I went down there for the game. I was there. Um, oh, yeah. I could not believe. I mean, one of my comments, one of those people asked me questions about the game. I said, I don't think I've ever seen a team hit as hard as Georgia did on defense. They're like, what do you mean? I go, just They were just hitting so hard. And I was so impressed yeah. with their performance that day
2: yeah
4: yeah it's uh that was i tell you that was a good time to to be there that was uh i've been going to games there since 1981 and that just atmosphere was was unbelievable that was and to you know from a professional standpoint um point of view you know to cover it 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 was it was pretty it was pretty neat uh to do that as well so yeah that you 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 got to go to a good
1: one, we'll say. So the quarterback, Stetson Bennett, who uh, was one of the Heisman Trophy finalists this past year, but it seems like he's been like, okay, when's Georgia going to get the superstar quarterback? And he just keeps, you know, hasn't lost a game, a regular season game now in two years. Uh, Won every big game you can imagine, except the SEC championship game last year. Talk a little about Stetson Bennett. He,
4: You know, he kind of in that same – a mold you know he's just kind of ideal and and fits uh what what georgia you know not only wants to do offensively but just just the uh kind of the georgia way the standard as they like to say he's just calm cool uh and he just gets it done and and sometimes uh although he can you know turn turn a eight yard sack into you know a uh 50-yard touchdown. You know, sometimes it's not all pretty from from Stetson, and that, that he, you know, showed that a few times this year. But he, he's just a winner. He, he just kind of, he's one of those guys that he just kind of gets it done. Simply put.
1: And when they talk about your running game, we say the Georgia running game, the Georgia running game. But it is truly, it's not a running back by committee. It's like a humongous committee because it seems like every game there's five or six backs that carry the ball, maybe five or six times. It's an amazing backfield. And, and I can't believe it seems like he was able to get the players, there, you know, to, that to buy into this idea about the running back by committee.
2: Yeah. And,
4: you know, even the other day, I mean, Georgia landed a, um, you know, one of their, uh, I guess it's now 27 uh, new signees. I mean one of them's a heralded running back, you know. Um, so yeah, he I, I think, as you know, kids nowadays they're all they're thinking next level and can this program and this coach, Kirby Smart, get me to the NFL? And I think that knowing, being confident in that, I think that trumps whether they get 10 carries, or thirty carries a game, I really do um as long as they're winning and and um these these backs are um you know excelling, then I, I don't think these guys really care uh, how many carries getting
1: wow that's amazing and then turning on to the defensive side uh, we, anyone who watched the NFL draft last year it seemed like the entire Georgia team on defense was drafted in the first or second round of the NFL draft they come back this year and their defense is maybe not as good as last year but still great led by Javon Carter so talk a little about their defense
4: yeah well the, the defense it's it's and I've seen a lot of uh, Georgia defenses over the years but I, I this one might be the epitome of the old like bend but don't break standard. I mean, they, they allow guys to, you know, uh, sometimes march up and down between the twenties. But I mean, look at LSU in the SEC title game, although they did score 30 points. uh, I mean, they threw for over 500 yards, you know, Georgia, uh, They've now allowed four straight opponents to pass for over 200 yards. That hasn't happened in, in years, like since, uh, 2016, Kirby smarts first season when Georgia went in eight and five, but teams have a hard time scoring against Georgia. I mean, they, they, uh, when teams get down to that 20, in fact, Georgia, they're, they're number one in the country in in fewest touchdown percentage in the red zone. And, uh, um, yeah, they just buckle down once those once those teams start threatening.
1: Well, they're opponent in the college football playoffs in the Peach Bowl in the, is Ohio State, certainly a team with explosive offenses led by the quarterback C.J. Stroud. How do you see Georgia faring against Ohio State in terms of stopping the the offense they had? You know, it seemed like besides that Michigan game, Ohio State was just rolling over everybody.
4: Yeah, and I'll be honest, I I think Georgia could very well have a hard time um like I said I mean they they've been they've uh they've been allowing um uh you know teams to throw on them lately uh you know that the 502 yards uh I think it was that LSU passed for the majority of that was by backup quarterback um I don't know and, and CJ Stroud is is uh I mean he he's He's one that could throw all over on you. Of course, you know, uh they said the same about Tennessee's Hendon Hooker too. And I am I'm I'm, I, I'm kinda conflicted with this because I could see Ohio State um um you know, doing well offensively against Georgia. However, like I said, this Georgia team when, when the spotlight's on, they, they seem to figure things out um, in all facets of the game. So I'm, I'm real curious to see uh, how this matchup's going to play out.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, the fact is that Georgia's raised the level of their games the last couple of years, and Ohio State in their biggest games, the two games against Michigan, hasn't been able to step it up against the, the best competition. So that that's what yeah. I'm intrigued by to see, what's the next level of Ohio State. I saw it, I was at the Penn State-Ohio State game, I saw them turn it on in that fourth quarter, but can they do that for an entire game?
4: Yeah, and, and I'll add one more thing. You know, Kirby Smart, he, he like I said, Georgia shows up in big games kind of in the same breath you give him time to prepare. Georgia's even that much more effective. You know, in their four college football playoff appearance games entering this year, they're 4 and 0 against the spread, 3 and 1 overall, but 4 and 0 against the spread. They, like I said, they uh you know, they show up in big games and a in a lot of the time it's because they have that extra time to prepare. So I, I think I think Georgia has that tangible working for itself as well
1: patrick thanks a lot for coming on ira sports i appreciate it what's the best way to follow you on social media
4: yeah twitter at patrick garbin is my uh is my handle
1: okay everybody who's big fans of georgia wants to follow georgia football definitely follow patrick garbin on twitter and thanks a lot for coming on ira sports i really appreciate it all
4: right thank you i appreciate it ira
1: Gonna love how
0: realistic all these guys are. Nobody's, you know, coming out. Oh, we're gonna crush them. We're the better team. They're
1: saying this every team is good, and this is gonna
0: be a challenge for our squad.
1: This is like the anti Miami Dolphin reporters <laughs> going to the Packer <laughs> game, who were dismissing the Packers as like a high school football team that the, the Dolphins were gonna cruise, and not well, that it's Aaron Rodgers, the Aaron Rodgers on the other side, and the team that went to this NFC Championship game. Yeah, I like the fact that they're they're honest. All of them are. I think I, I think it's where we're gonna have. I do think Michigan's gonna blow out TCU. I hate to say it. I think Michigan blew it, but I. Think it's Ohio State Georgia game. It's gonna be tough, but I can see, I can see TCU. I can see if TCU gets in that that crazy game, yeah. they have so much experience in a crazy game that maybe they're like, okay, we're used to this craziness, so let's win this. So that point is like, can we get to you know almost like can Tom Brady be dead within ten points at the end of a game? Tampa Bay's gonna come up. If TCU is, going to play every game. Scene's been nuts and everything. They get into that, they can beat Michigan. But I, I do think Michigan's gonna blow out TCU, and I think the state Georgia game's gonna be great.
0: What Drew said is correct, though. They've, they get in shootout. You know, a shootout's gonna benefit them. Right. They've been doing this all year long. Max Duggan comes to play, so I'm really excited for this weekend.
1: You're gonna be at at least one of these games, right? I think the, right now it's gonna be at the Fiesta Bowl, but I'm gonna be at the Rose the next Monday, so I have to plan on how the flights and everything. I want to make sure that I can make this. You know, people are getting flights over, so I think it's gonna be. I'd prefer to be at the Peach Bowl. That's a better game. But it's easier for me to go to be in Phoenix and then go to L.A. so I can be there ready to go to the Rose Bowl on the second.
0: Tough life, Ira, trying to <laughs> play out, all this out. 740, it's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's hop back to the NFL. Raiders-Steelers. And this was a game obviously means a lot to the Steelers. It means kind of a lot, I think, to the Raiders here, too, Ira, because... I don't know what's going on with this franchise. And Derek Carr going into the season, it was like, this is going to be Derek Carr's year. And he seems to get worse every single week. Nice win for you guys.
1: What, what were these coaches doing? It's, it's zero degrees. You can't catch the ball. You can't throw the ball. I couldn't understand the Raiders. They have the number one running back, yeah. Josh Jacobs. And Carr threw 30 times. Now, Carr looked terrible, but how? it was the coldest game. They, I think it was half the stadium was there. It was the second or first. Every team, team the first or second, the field was freezing cold. What is he doing throwing the ball all the time? And mm-hmm. Jacobs, and you heard him today. Why don't they just hand me the ball? I think it's people, when it's cold like that, people don't want to tackle. If you ever go outside, do you want to like tackle somebody? No, no one no. <laughs> want to tackle anybody. So just give it to Jacobs. Let him run. I can't understand Josh McDaniels, their coach, not handing it to him. Now, I'm looking for the Steelers. They were up 10-3 in the fourth quarter, and then... Carr, you know, messed up and then Pickens, Pickett threw it to Pickens. I mean I, I think the Steelers should have ran the ball more too. So I think I blame both teams by it. And it was a good win for the Steelers. They're at six and they're at seven and eight. The Raiders are six and nine. The Steelers They need, like, everything to go right. I mean, it's like 13 things have to happen for them to make the playoffs because they lost to the Dolphins. They lost to the Patriots. They lost to the Jets. They have a bad conference record, so they have no (laughs) tiebreakers whatsoever. So they need, like, miracles upon miracles to get in. But for the Raiders to lose a game, Carr looked bad. But I I just got to question Josh McDaniels because – and also some of these other coaches that were just throwing the ball on these cold weather, the coldest days you've seen.
0: No, Yeah, a lot of it made no sense. And you keep hearing the – Former pros like Greg Olson and stuff saying how hard it is to catch a rock-solid football. It's not easy. It's just a lot of baffling calls all around. Baffling, like you said, though, was the Dolphins coming off three straight losses, kind of looking at this game like, well, we we'll just beat the Packers and move on. You were there. Tell us about getting there in this what we consider a South Florida Frost Tundra Bowl.
1: Well, I just want to say, <laughs> well, real, real fast here. It was a Christmas Day game. It was supposed to be all this joy and spirit and everything. The fans, though, I, first of all, one fan, like in the middle of the right before halftime, somebody comes up to me and I'm sitting a ticket and says, I'm sitting in your my seat. We have these four seats. And I'm like, I pretty much know where I'm at. But if you're coming in right before halftime, I'm like we're I'm trying to watch the end of the final play, like wait till halftime and do something like that. And I, I knew I was in the right seat. And I'm like, no, whatever. And then he shows me a ticket. He's row 23. This is row 24. Like, know your rows. And I'm like, are you sure? I go, the row is right on there. You can tell. This is not like up for interpretation. And then at the end of the game, I'm sitting there taking pictures. I got a great shot of Tua and Rogers. And you can see in my picture that Rogers, who we don't consider the super tall, is 6'2, Tua 6'1. He looks like three or four inches taller than Tua does. It's in that in the picture. I, it was a great shot I have on my Iron sports site. But the next thing I know, there's like water on the ground. I'm like, what happened? And it's like somebody went and took the cup that I had, dumped the Coke out, and, and took the cup, was taking the and I'm like, sir, what did you do? Well, I didn't know it was yours. I'm like, it's right in front of me. And first of all, you dump it out on my shoe, and then you take the cup. And he goes, oh, well, you want it back? I'm like, yeah, give me the cup back. It was ridiculous.
0: And When you told me that story, I assumed it was a cleaning person. No, this was just a fan collecting yeah, they cups.
1: The game, they have these people that attacking, trying to get all these stupid plastic cups all the time, and it's like crazy. <laughs> so let's
0: talk about the the game. And this is now it came out today that Tua Tagovailoa um, has re-entered concussion protocol third time this year not good for his season in general you know I, I they haven't ruled him out for this week i can't imagine he plays this week but this is not looking good and his second half numbers reflected that
1: no this game was crazy and i but i really like the packers i'm telling you i mean A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones are good running backs. They, they had 24 backs. receptions, 10 players caught passes. The, Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs are the rookies and they're just getting better. Like, I mean, Watson and Dobbs, Dobbs is enormous. I mean, I can't believe how big and fat, like you just throw them across the middle, like can't a drop or whatever. But their offense, I've sat right behind their bench, they run four or five different receivers in and tight ends in almost every play. I can see why Watson and Dobbs had trouble picking this up. This isn't the normal like go and run and then run back down. Like, they have a very complex Thing. It probably takes a while. So that's where, but I think Green Bay's getting healthy. They actually look good and everyone's underestimating them. And my comment had always been if Brady and Rodgers are in the playoffs, are you going to trust Bryce Purdy? Are you going to trust <laughs> Kirk Cousins? Are you going to trust uh, Gabe Minshew? Like, what, what, Dak Prescott? Like, again, like Rodgers knows what he's doing. He made some amazing passes in this game and played it. And, 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 but I just thought it, from that perspective, I was very impressed with Green Bay uh, the, during the entire game.
0: So let's talk about the game itself because this was one where. Packers looked a little disjointed maybe in the first half, and then the Dolphins just looked completely out of sorts in the second.
1: Yeah, Miami just got out to their typical fast start. Field goal it should have been a touchdown, but then they kick off. Green Bay has a 93-yard kickoff return. Yeah. How do you let that happen? If you're ready to play, you don't give a 93-yard touchdown pass, and then they held him to a field goal. But then Waddle has, of course, I have on my fantasy team with Tua, so that was great. I'm just going nuts. They had an 84-yard touchdown. It was um, the longest offensive touchdown score on Christmas Day in NFL history, and it was the fourth longest touchdown in Dolphins history, and the longest since Dan Marino's 85-yard pass to Mark Duper in 1986. So it was a great pass. Then Green Bay goes, and Miami Miami kicks, so they score the touchdown, and they, they were trying to do a, uh, a squib kick, but he misses the kick, so was like an, everyone thought, was well, this is an onside kick? Like, what are you trying that for? Then, anyway, R- 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 Green Bay gets the ball back, Rodgers goes and scores, and then makes it 10-10, and then Miami punts it, and then Green Bay gets a fourth and one, Miami 37, goes for it, doesn't get it, I mean, the, and then Miami gets the ball, like, second play, and they had two long drives, which are like I mean, long in terms of passing, but long in one one play and three play. That was a 52-yard pass to Hill, and then they run it in 17-10. And Green Bay, how about this, these fake punts? Fourth and two on your own 20. Didn't Tampa just do that last week? Like, yep. what is it with the fake punt? It didn't work. Miami then gets the ball. And this is where, okay, it's 17-10 you're going to score a touchdown here, see what happens. They just get a field goal out of that because Tua got sacked twice, made it 20-10. Green Bay goes three and out. They're floundering around. Miami started on their own 50. You're like, okay, go up 27-10, call it a day. Everything's happy. They fumble the ball. Let Green Bay go down. I'm trying to, you know, get kicked out of my seat while I'm watching Green Bay <laughs> get a field goal 20-13. to 13. But then at halftime, I was reading, I was listening to Mike McDaniel after the game, and he said, oh, at halftime, I really felt like I was going to be super you know, happy talking to you after the game. I'm like, what are you worried about? How are you going to feel after the Game. You're only up 2013 in a game that Green Bay totally butchered. I mean, the first half was a mess, yeah. and you're so overconfident that you're going to win the game, which was pretty crazy because even the first half, in Miami had 271 yards to uh, 130 for Green Bay. I mean, two had almost 213 yards passing, but still, it was just to me, what a weird first half.
0: Going back to the fake punts thing, I said it last week. You have Tom Brady of Aaron Rodgers, it's fourth and two. Run a play if you're going to go for mm-hmm.
1: it. Fake it on 4th and seven, fourth and 8. 4th and 2, run a play. <laughs>
0: That's crazy. What about the second
1: half? And the second half was probably, I've, could a team actually have a worse second half than Miami? They had four possessions, three interceptions, and a missed field goal. I mean, they Green Bay went down. They had a touchdown. They went on 4th and 1. They got it. They tied it 20-20. Miami misses a field goal. Green Bay, Rodgers throws an interception in the end zone. You're like, they go down. Okay, Rogers, Aaron Rodgers so throws an interception. The next, exact next play... Tua throws another interception (laughs) then Green Bay kicks a field goal makes it 23-20 maybe it's a nine play drive but Tua throws another interception makes it and then Green Bay you know is a field goal 26-20 so they stopped him so this game's down with two minutes to go Everything was fine. It wasn't like they were rushing. Everything set. Okay, is going to win 27 26. This is a Tom Brady. Like, it was so tailor made for a touchdown at the end of the game. And, like, on the third pass, another interception. And these were bad passes. Like, I've watched them a million times. Like, I don't know who he was throwing to. I mean, I knew who he was throwing it to, but there were like four. Five, it was like the Packers had 15 players out there, but it just didn't work. I mean, it was just people were talking on the television where he's trying to look people off. But Tua did not, you know, that was terrible. Maybe he had a concussion at that time, and that's why he played so poorly. But that second half was awful. Yeah, there's
0: the internet seems to have nailed down when he hit his head, and the numbers after that are. Stark contrast to the numbers before that. Hopefully, uh, Tua is okay, and we'll see him back under center for the Dolphins at some I don't, point this you season. You know,
1: but I don't know. I mean, with the concussion, now he's in concussion protocol. I can't believe they're going to play him this week. I think. It's I gonna think be, he's going to be out. I, I. don't think. I think you have Teddy Bridgewater now. You have. They have to win. If the way they works out, they have. They, if they won this game, this would have been. It over because you would have that two game lead. But the fact is, if they lose this week against New England, and then maybe, or they win and then they lose to the Jets, uh, they're in trouble of getting. Especially the Chargers tonight. If the Chargers win this game, they get the sixth playoff spot. That leaves just one for like every other team competing for. It. And even though the Dolphins have, or you know, they're leading in the race for, it, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to win. They this this was this is very bad.
0: It's up for anybody that seventh seed, including your Steelers. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Ira on Sports True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Just about ten minutes ago, it's 7:49. Ira. Great games all weekend up until the Christmas night game. And boy, this was an ugly one with Tampa and Arizona.
1: Well, I liked it because it was. because
0: you weren't there. You State, were every it game. It was
1: Penn State Michigan. And I was like, <laughs> when was the last time Brady, Michigan, and McT- Trace McSorley, who was like my favorite Penn State quarterback, who was just great? And also, Chris Godwin was his wide receiver. Yeah. And people remember, it's like, well, Trace McSorley and Chris Godwin, they were in against uh, Sam Darnold and Juju Smith Schuster in that Rose Bowl, which everyone talks about as being this crazy, amazing game. But Arizona was leading, 16-6 with 10 minutes to go, but then Brady says, okay, hurry up offense, which they should just run the hurry up the entire time. They threw to Fournette like four times, go down, score, and then Trace looks fumbles the ball, Tampa Bay kicks a field goal, 16-6, they go into overtime, Arizona doesn't do anything, then Brady drives down, kicks a field goal. It's like, if Tom Brady, now that we saw this in the Saints game, the Rams game, I mean, if he's in within 10 points, he's going to win these games. I mean, that's what's so amazing. And Brady, a terrible game. He admitted, I just listened to the radio coming in as, let's go. But Again, he's such a winner. He's like, I played terrible. I cost our team a game. But you know what? We figured it out. We did what he could. And they lose their left tackle, uh, uh, Josh Wells, to an injury. They have so many injuries on their offensive line. But I just got to be, you know, from Tampa Bay's perspective, now it sets up for Carolina. They're playing Carolina to win the division, and then they'll get to be the fourth seed of the playoffs. The winner of that game should get that. Now, there's different ways, but usually the winner of that game should be the fourth seed.
0: Dallas and Philly, this one was very important. And Jalen Hurts not under center. It's going to be Gardner Minshew. Dallas got the win here. This was I, you you beat a backup quarterback, so there's not that much you can celebrate, but hey, it's still a big win.
1: Dak Prescott might have made this play of his life. 34 27 Eagles with 10 minutes to go in the game. Now, Dak had already thrown a pick six to start the game. So it's 34 27 Eagles with 10 minutes to go. Two sacks on Prescott makes it third and 30. And then, how in the world, if you're the Eagles, do you give up on third and 30? And they go, T.Y. Hilton. And I, th- like, for a second, I thought, T.Y. Hilton? Is that Mike? Like, what Hilton? And they go, T.Y. <laughs> and that's right. His first catch of the Cowboys is a kind you know, he's a star, cold wide receiver. They signed him two weeks ago. God. Right, <laughs> it who was, it was, it, you know, hasn't caught a pass all year. I'm like, wow. And he right down for 50 yards, right down the field. And then they ended up going and, and winning the game off that. But it was like 34-34. Then Minshew fumbles. Dallas gets it. And then Minshew drives the ball down at the end to the 19. All the scores. My takeaways from the game is, what happens to their defenses, both of these teams? Like, these are two teams that say, we're elite, we're this and this. Their defenses look terrible, awful. I mean, both of them. I just thought, again, I don't know, in my personal opinion, I don't think that Philadelphia and Dallas are, are better. That's what I like about San Francisco. I just don't think Philadelphia and Dallas are as good as they think they are, and everyone else thinks they are, and I don't think they're the gap, whatever, but they, I thought their defenses well, were Without Jalen
0: Hurts, though, they, they can't control the clock you know usually they're running the ball the entire game this wasn't the case here and people forget like you said this game started off Philly could have had a touchdown, only settled for a field goal. Next play, they got to pick six. So they get spotted 10 points. Should have been 14. They I lost the game. Dallas'
1: defense to giving up 34 points. Like, what happened to their defense? They had a bad week against Jacksonville. Now you do this again. I mean, where is the Dallas defense? I mean, it's great that Michael Parsons gets sacks here and there, but if they're going to go to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl, their defense has got to put up, su- they have to do something.
0: You won't beat the 49ers playing like this. No, no. So I don't know if you saw this, but when Buffalo landed um, home after the win over Chicago, the team had to shovel their own cars out. There's no parking garage or or underground parking. They had to shovel their cars out out of like three feet of snow.
1: Well, I mean, this is we've talked about there's not no one who's on this point more than any person. I with all these teams that are investing so much in quarterbacks and how the NFL wants it. Why these teams all don't have domes, I don't understand. And the fact that Buffalo is building a stadium without a dome, when you have an offense that is built for, for high powered offense, I have no idea why they're not building a dome. I know Chicago is building a dome, but you see what happens that the NFL fans didn't show up for these games. They were the quarter filled. Tennessee had like 10% of they're fans of the game. They, I don't know why these teams don't build domes, but look, they beat the Bears 35-13. Um, they got the running game going, which it, I guess it took this to start running the ball because you couldn't even throw <laughs> the ball at all, and they were actually smart. Singletary had 12 carries, 106 yards, and James Cook's 11 for 99. Everybody hates Josh Allen. I mean, he's just the quarterback of the best team you know, in the AFC, <laughs> but you know, he's terrible, this and that. But uh, the Bills, it's third straight uh, title. They've had uh, six now, won six games in a row, sets up for their big game next week at Cincinnati. They win that game, they will be the number one seed.
0: I wasn't expecting Seattle to beat KC, but... They lost by two scores, but they look competitive for some of this game. I'm not writing Seattle off yet.
1: I, I couldn't believe the stat. KC's won 16 straight wins against regular, in the regular season against NFC teams. The one loss, of course, the Super Bowl against Tom Brady. But um, but boy, Mahomes plays smart now. Kelsey six catches. How does Kelsey keep getting open? I mean, it's clear. I mean, he doesn't he's not that super fast, but he played great. And Mahomes now is looking like he's the MVP. I mean, this of any games we talk about games, it's sort of sealed with Hertz not playing, Allen having a so-so game because of the weather. Mahomes Jones was 224 yards, two touchdowns, but he's probably got the MVP locked down. But Kansas City is sitting there with a chance of what what could they get, you know, what kind of, could they potentially get the one seed? Why is
0: Travis Kelsey always so open? It's a good question. (laughs) Always wide open. A lot of people thought this was going to be a competitive game
1: between the Commanders and the 49ers. I didn't think so, and it wasn't. Brock Purdy has figured this out. I mean, who? Jimmy Garoppolo, who? And then they have their tight end. Again, in this weather wasn't bad, but using utilization of George Kittle's uh, six catches, 120 yards, two touchdowns. Purdy has now his two touchdowns in four straight games, and San Francisco's won three of his starts. Only Kurt Warner and Purdy have ever done that in history. That foul started, won the first three starts, and had two touchdowns. And the San Francisco defense just plays better and better and better. I mean, Washington scored some points, but this is, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm, every time I look at San Francisco, I'm like, they, I want, I'll tell you, I want to see Cerisco and Tampa Bay or Green Bay in the NFC Championship game, but I gotta like this team. They they are the best team in the NFC right now.
0: I was not expecting as the 1 o'clock started to wind down on Saturday that Cincinnati and New England could be a last possession tech, uh, hypothetical win for New England.
1: Cincinnati pulled it out,
0: but this was a, a close one.
1: What a crazy game. So Cincinnati, if anyone wasn't watching this game, Cincinnati was up 22 to nothing in the first half. It was the largest deficit for the Pats like in 15, 20 years of the first half, all these records. And in first half Cincinnati had 22 first downs. The Pats only had two first downs. But then Burrow threw a pick six, and then they scored another time. And then they threw, then uh, Mac Jones threw this like Hail Mary in the end zone. Like it was the stupidest pass could be intercepted. But then it bounced off three people. It scored for a touchdown. Suddenly it's 22-18. And then they had a chance. They, then Jamar Chase fumbles the ball for Cincinnati. And then New England's driving, and Ramon Stevenson fumbles the ball, and then the game's over. But uh, uh, it was it was really, how about Cincinnati? It was their first win at New England it's since 1986. Six. That's insane. That's I, I could not <laughs> believe that's that. But the Bengals lost one of their offensive linemen, uh, Collins for yeah, the Leo Collins. and that's gonna hurt because their offensive line you saw in the Super Bowl they had a lot of problems and and that could be something. But again, Cincinnati, we, we I mentioned these, we put all these games in a row: Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati are clearly the best in the in the AFC, and San Francisco, Dallas, Philly in the NFC.
0: Is there a team that wins what the way the Minnesota Vikings do, Ira? Every week, it's like a nail-biter. Every
1: game... They're like TCU. They yeah. they're, <laughs> yeah, they're the, the TCU, TCU of the NFL.
0: <laughs> every game comes down to the wire. This one, as a Giants fan, I can't even be mad, because Greg Joseph had a 61-yard field goal
1: as time expired. Good for them, I guess. The Vikings are now 11-0 and in one-score games. They only have a plus-five differential for any team that has been 12 or 3. They've looked through the history of the NFL. The differential is like 50. The lowest is 50 points. So they literally almost have a negative differential because they got blown out in two of their games. But they're winning crushed thing. them 44-3. Yeah. But- <laughs> Justin Jefferson, 12 catches, 133 yards, a touchdown as someone who's has a fantasy all year. He's amazing. Uh, great. But it was one of those things. I, I got to give Daniel Jones credit, though. 24-16, they had a punt block that gave them the big lead for Minnesota. He comes back in that drive and then scored the two-point yep. off of that. That's tremendous. If you're starting to look at it, you're like, maybe Daniel Jones is this quarterback. Because he, he, in a loss, he looked great in that final drive.
0: Richie James, who's been maybe their best receiver this season. He's a practice squad guy. Dropped two first downs in the fourth quarter. Could have helped them out a lot. A couple other games here to sum up. Jacksonville, I, I thought they'd beat the Jets worse than this, but they did what they had to do, and um, we got to see pretty much the end, maybe, of Zach Wilson's career as Mike White's healthy.
1: Well, Zach Wilson's Jets career, any thought that, again, Mike White's now healthy. You heard New York, the sound you heard was that the Jet fans screaming for joy that, that, that they have Mike White, and they <laughs> Zach Wilson is now inactive. It was weird in this game. Lawrence was drafted one in the 2020 one draft and Wilson was drafted two. There could be further of a gap. People now think Lawrence is going to be the in the echelon of Mahomes and and uh, Josh Allen and, and that level. And Zach uh, Wilson is going to be just playing quarterback as a backup somewhere next year.
0: Um, Houston and Tennessee. Houston got to give him credit. These these guys play hard every week and they and they got to win over a pretty bad Tennessee team.
1: Tennessee is remember they they've now lost five in a row. But they had the uh, the division the Central's all it was it was theirs and yeah. they've now given it to Jacksonville. Jacksonville's like that. Thank you very much. Jacksonville had their run. Tennessee now is 7-8, and eight, but it looks like with Malik, without Ryan Tannehill, he's been out. Malik Willis does not look like he's ready to be an NFL quarterback, but a really bad loss for Tennessee.
0: Who knew what it was going to take to get Nathaniel Hackett fired? was getting absolutely crushed by Baker Mayfield and the Rams, but that did the trick.
1: Baker Mayfield had 24-28, 230 yards, two touchdowns. Russell Wilson was absolutely horrendous. Um, they fire Nathaniel Hackett. The, the one thing people have to understand, I want to, we'll talk about this more next week, but the Broncos were just sold for almost Five billion dollars by the heirs of the Walmart family. They, they are going to make major changes to the team. This was done when the year started. They had no control, so I think they were just sort of getting their feet wet and running this and setting everything out. You're going to see super changes in terms of what this how this will be done. Greg Penner is CEO, Greg Penner married Sam Walton's uh, granddaughter. That's the way to become, if you want to say, I'm going to run the. Denver it's like game of Thrones. Yeah, that's how that's how you <laughs> get there. So Greg and Penner is now going to be making these decisions. I mean, Greg parents parents were six therapist, and of course, Carrie's parents, who he married, was the owners of Walmart, so that was a, a good trade in this. <laughs> and, uh, but again, it was, this franchise with Pat Boland was the owner for like 40, 30, 40 years, but he had, had Alzheimer's and dementia at the end, and that led, that's where John Elway took over, but then the, they could not decide between all the siblings, Boland siblings, he didn't say who's going to be, almost like the Lakers situation, he didn't designate who was going to be in charge, they were fighting, they ended up selling the team, you're going to see wholesale, wholesale changes next year, and I'll tell you what, if they want to buy out the money, if you've spent $5 billion for team if you have to pay off of whatever you have to do th- this is you're seeing in sports now steve Cohn, like steve Cohn spends all this money for the mets he's spending like, you're you're seeing now these owners buying these teams and saying whatever i need to do to win
0: well it's it's like we said with certain certain teams have been owned since the 60s and 70s these guys they're here to make money this is why they bought the team it's not passionate people that are like like they are buying it now detroit lions disappointing here i mean this is a team on the upward trajectory loses to a lowly P- panthers team
1: But this was big for the Panthers because now it gets set up. The Panthers, who had two running backs, Hubbard and Foreman, that ran well. I mean, I'm excited for the Panthers and against Bucks next weekend. That's going to be deciding, again, I said, the the central for the NFC.
0: Tonight, Chargers versus the Colts. The Lions, three and a half. South, I mean, sorry. The Lions, three and a half. I feel like this line should make a touchdown. The Chargers should crush the Colts tonight.
1: I can't understand it. This is unbelievable. Like, if Justin Herbert is as good as everyone says he is... And the team's he's, healthy now. Colts, Derwin James is back. Derwin James, Mike Williams, Keenan Out, Austin Eckler. And if the line is for, for a team, the, the Colts don't care. I mean, they, <laughs> they they're if they show up, if they bring out and their team is there with Jeff Saturday, nobody, nobody's getting along. How in the world is this line for? Like, that's what I don't understand about this line. Like, this is it should be a blow. By halftime, this should be... It's like, game should be over. We've got less than a minute. What's the playoff picture here look like? Um, I, Really, what it comes down to right now is that... Again, Again, the Miami at eight and seven. Pats are seven and eight. Jets are seven and eight. Um, those teams and the Steelers seven and eight. But really, it's going to come down between the Pats. If the Pats play, Miami's at the Pats next week. If Pats win this game, I think the Pats are going to get. The, they were going. To, they're going to be the seventh team because if the Chargers win tonight, that's what's going to make that difference. And then the NFC. The Giants are 8, 6, and 1. They play the Colts next week. They're lucky. So maybe they could, Giants, get in and get the 6th Remember, there's three four teams that win division, three wild cards. So they could get the 6th. And the 7th is Washington, Detroit, Green Bay. Anybody could also get that. And I, maybe Green Bay could sneak in and get that 7th one. But that's really what, you know, we'll see. After next week, that's going to be when everything shakes out. And the Dolphins who are trying, you know, just a few weeks ago, it seemed like they were looking for the number one seed. They're just, they're hoping to get to the playoffs right now. Uh,
0: Before we wrap it up, what are we watching this week in college?
1: Well, definitely we got the uh, Michigan uh, uh, TCU game. Michigan's favored by seven half over TCU. That's on uh, Saturday night, New Year's Eve. I know it's so weird to have these games on on New Year's Eve. It's the craziest idea. In Georgia, I like Michigan of course over TCU, and I like the Georgia U- uh, US, US Ohio State game to be tight. Some other games uh, Thursday, Florida State has plays Oklahoma in the Cheez-It Bowl in Orlando, so South Florida fans would like that. And I'll tell you what, if someone's betting, Notre Dame minus two over South Carolina Gator Bowl. I I love South Carolina in this game. I think South Carolina is everyone. Love Spencer Rattler. Clemson minus four and a half over Temple over Orange Bowl. I think Clemson is coming in fire in that game. I like Clemson minus four and a five. And Bama minus six and a half. Kansas State over Super Bowl. Alabama plays these games. People think, oh my gosh, Bama doesn't care. That's why that line is where it is. They're going to blow out Kansas State. I saw Bama <laughs> play Michigan in the uh, with Citrus Bowl right before when they didn't last time they make the playoffs. And they won that easily. I think they win this one, too.
0: We are out of time. Thanks so much to Drew Davidson, Bill Rabinowitz, and Patrick. <laughs> Patrick Garbin, but we have Ira on Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.